Welcome to Reactions. This is our first news reaction podcast. Every week we get together, we talk about some of the most interesting news stories in Web3. It's January 5th, 2023. Joining me today is Suresh Balaji, founder of the Web3 Marketing Association, and Malcolm Ong, product leader and serial entrepreneur. Our producer, Disco Wolf or D-Dubs, is going to try and stump us with some news stories. So, D-Dubs, jump into it. What do you have for us this week? First of five news items I have for you today, BMW partners with CoinWeb to develop a blockchain-based financing and loyalty program in Thailand. Suresh. Firstly, look, I'm, I'm loving that, you know, L2s like Polygon and others are seeing loyalty as a as a, as a as a key use case, right? As a marketer, it heartens me that everyone's thinking of loyalty. Everyone's thinking of tokenomics around loyalty. Um, they will unleash the power of loyal communities and all of those, uh, which is fabulous. But why Thailand, number one? And the second one I don't get is um, why financing? I, I'm just not sure about it. So are they talking about crypto payments? If so, then how does BMW manage volatility of the car price today the x1 costs you know the equivalent of you know twenty thousand us dollars and tomorrow it costs sixty thousand us dollars well, what is going on and i don't know what will they do with anti-money laundering and all of that stuff so um big question marks for me in terms of how they're actually going to manage this yeah so clarification though they're not using polygon right they're using bnb chain. chain yeah uh, so, uh, but coin yeah. they partnered with CoinWeb, which is a l2 interoperable mm. uh service or so they say. Or so they say. <laughs> but I guess what they're trying to do here is they're, they're, BMW is trying to use the blockchain to make daily operations, and in particular their financing service, uh, more efficient by eliminating complex paperwork, I guess, somehow. Um, and very similar to you, Suresh, I don't know why Talon is the first market. Maybe that has something to do with CoinWeb and, and their influence there. Um, and in addition to that, they announced the loyalty program that they're creating would have much information, but effectively using rewards to incentivize customers to buy more BMD products and, and services. How um, complex is uh, car buying in Thailand for them to need <laughs> Web3 solution? Lots of paperwork, I suppose. <laughs> I, I think that's that's what they, they, they mentioned, right? In the press release yeah. is that it has a lot yeah. to do with the paperwork and automating a lot of the manual processes and ensuring better KYC and AML. So that must be a problem with the way that cars are traded in, in Thailand. Um, one thing to note, and this is important, is that we're talking. This is BMW Thailand leasing. This is a completely separate company to BMW. Oh. So I actually don't think, and I know that the press <laughs> release, which was filed in Hong Kong, um, says it's BMW, and actually even gives a a, a description of BMW and uh, like the company, the, the the car manufacturer. But I have a really, I, my spidey senses tell me that this is not actually BMW. That this is the company that owns the BMW, uh, uh you know, uh, distribution in Thailand. That, and, and these companies, like, you know, th there's one in Hong Kong as an example. They have almost free reign on how they sell these cars and, and especially how they lease these cars and do financing for these cars. So, um, and then, you know, th their customer base is their customer base, right? Their customer base doesn't belong to BMW headquarters. So all that said, uh, I have a suspicion that this is not actually BMW from Germany, but rather their, their, the leasing company that they have licensed and they, they, license is the wrong word. The leasing company that they work with in Thailand, um, that is doing this, uh, which then makes the coin web 
relationship, we have to dig in a little bit further into CoinWeb. And I'll, I'll be honest, I have never heard of this company before this press release. Uh, they have a great name, uh, but I dug into it a little bit further, and there's not that much information about it. I read their light paper. I read a bunch of their developer docs, um, and I, I have no idea what they do. I think on their website, they, they, they say that they're building a layer two or something like a layer two, almost like a polygon kind of uh, platform that connects assets and, and, and transactions across uh, multiple different blockchains. Their roadmaps suggest that they have launched. It doesn't seem like there's anything real going on there. Um, I think that they're a development house with some, I'm sure, really, really smart people that do these private development things for corporates who are trying out Web3 uh, or trying out decentralized technology. Again, I could be completely wrong. So so, so maybe, DW, you can fact check this. And if you come up with something interesting about CoinWeb, let us know. Uh, but it feels like that to me right now. It doesn't feel like this is really a protocol layer thing. I think this is a, this is a, a, a group of engineers who are, know how to build uh, decentralized tech and through connections have landed with BMW Thailand leasing and are doing something for a press release. Um, that's what but I think Gary, this they, they made it to the news and more importantly, they made it to our podcast. I know. Is, it, is, is, that, is that our fault? Is that a, is that a D-dubs filtering issue? <laughs> moderation or no moderation? Content yeah. moderation. <laughs> On to our second item today. A tax loss harvesting platform called Unsellable is building the world's largest collection of worthless NFTs. <laughs> Why? It helps NFT holders unload their digital assets so that they could claim them as tax losses. This certainly sounds more plausible to me. Malcolm? This, this is brilliant, first of all. I have a ton of <laughs> NFTs that are now worthless. Uh, I actually think this is a very creative solution. Um, but, you know, as I'm thinking about it some more, I don't understand how this may be different from just me selling it on the open marketplace. If it's truly about tax loss harvesting, maybe it's just they're providing guaranteed liquidity, I suppose. And then I'm curious what's in it for them. Like what's, what do they plan on doing this with this next? Um, is, 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 is that part just a loss leader for them to what they're really trying to do, which is more on the tax side or finance side? Uh, not sure, but pretty interesting um i kind of want to sell my nfts to them and then i'm also thinking about all my altcoins as well that are also worthless right now if they'll give me some liquidity there malcolm your problem though is that if you do that you're not doing any actually tax loss harvesting right because you you don't have any capital gains from this year to <laughs> offset none of thanks, us Gary. do thanks thanks Gary. <laughs> i know thanks robert did man <laughs> oh my god none of us do i mean i i yeah, I, 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 would, um, I would offload my useless nft collection but this year is a bad year for me to do it i shouldn't do it this year i love this um it's a it's a hilarious uh business model but actually um there's a very real use case it's a creative way for these founders whoever's behind unsellable to actually assemble an asset portfolio during a down market. And who knows, uh, some of these assets, and even if like only 10% of them actually come back in value, they may, I mean, they, they, they're buying them at almost no cost, right? Like a penny each. Um, so they, they just need a small percentage of these to somehow revive in a in the next bull run, uh, maybe somebody somewhere to buy up some of these alt uh, NFT collections and revive them for a different type of community. They just need a little bit of that, and, and then they will make lots of money. So I, I think this is this is great, and uh, it's good timing. Obviously, it's starting to be tax season at the start of the year. People are starting to pull together their taxes in the U.S. 
um, for that first, uh, you know, April deadline. So, um, so yeah, so this is a, this is a good time for it. Now, what's really interesting to me though about this is that this kind of proves that digital assets have real world value in the eyes of governments or at the very least of tax departments. We've talked about whether or not tax departments are going to properly tax virtual assets in the future and whether or not they're incentivized to do so has a lot to do with the fact uh, of whether or not they think these things actually have real world value. Um, and now this kind of says this, it doesn't prove, but it kind of suggests that tax departments are going to see losses in NFTs as real, as real. And therefore that's why you can do some uh, tax loss uh, harvesting. Um, the next step I think, which will be really interesting is I think people are going to start realizing this and start thinking about donating digital assets or even maybe donating digital rights to real world assets for tax considerations. Right, the way that billionaires donate art collections to museums, right, and then they 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 take the tax consideration and hundreds of millions of dollars, right? What if you can do the same thing with NFT collections in the future, right? Uh, so I think that if 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 this if this works through several tax seasons, then we're going to start seeing really really rich people with increasingly you know larger larger collections of digital assets and digital art start donating that digital art or the digital rights to that art for tax considerations. That, that could be really interesting. That is, I mean, another business model, but I'm not, not sure if I want to, I want to be in tax evasion business, <laughs> but, uh, but, 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 but this is true, right? To your point, I think this happens in IRL, the whole idea of distressed assets and stuff, but the whole tax piece, at least in the U S is quite weird. Um, crypto purchases, of NFTs are not taxable. I think capital gains from crypto purchases are not taxable, and but fiat-based NFT purchases, capital gains on fiat-based NFT purchases are. Hold on, is that true? That I think so. Gains think in so. crypto I, are not. I don't think that's true, Suresh. No, no, I think that is true. So let's let's. Uh, yeah, there's something D weird about that. Yeah, Dwebs, you're gonna so, have to look that up for us. Yeah, I always. I mean, if that's I, true. I, that's a big loophole. Yeah, yes. I, I'm. I'm pretty sure, at least in the United States, that gains in in, uh, in crypto assets and your crypto portfolios are taxable. As in, you have to declare them. Okay. Um, but uh, right now, there's no way for there to be an audit effectively, and that's yeah, part uh, of the big problem. The good news for you, you guys from the US, is your your tax laws are quite simple, anyways. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not. <laughs> yeah. See the 45 pages of documentation I have to submit to to pay my you know. Fifteen dollars in tax because I'm making no money right now. What, what do you think Hong Kong will do for this? Yeah, um, you've caught me off guard. I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure either. Yeah, because Hong Kong has one treat, of the simplest treated. tax laws ever, right? Yeah, one of the simplest tax laws ever because the Hong Kong government uh, does not need to make money off of income tax or capital gains tax. They want to be a free market and allow for uh, they, they want to incentivize uh, investment in this marketplace which is why there's such a high penetration of investing behaviors in the general public in Hong Kong because capital gains is so low. I mean, it's zero uh, capital gains tax in Hong Kong. So in that case, I would, I would assume that crypto assets uh, would be considered, if they go up or down, be considered capital gains or capital loss, uh, and there will be no tax implications of that. Hmm. Speaking of investments, I have some numbers for you to chew on. Um, Web3 startups raised $7.1 billion in funding during 2022. Gaming accounted for 62%, followed by Metaverse, 25%, and social networks, 3.6%. And 
And this is according to the Metaverse Post. Gary. Yeah, I, I think directionally this report is interesting. I'm actually not sure how they assembled it. So I, I personally am not taking it as accurate in total quantum because that number, 7 billion, actually feels low to me. It feels low over the course of 2022, uh, even with the, 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 uh, the crypto winter and the dip in the marketplace. So I feel like it's a little bit misleading. Um, I can already tell by looking at some of the numbers in the report that the total number of investments is off. As an example, I know for a fact that the number of investments that they attributed to Animoca in 2022 is way low. Um, so I think that's off. Uh, and so the rest of the numbers, I assume that what they've seen is a subset of total investments because a lot of these investments are not public. They, at the very least, the numbers are not public. Um, and so, I, you know, directionally, let's take it quantum. I'm not so sure. Uh, it is interesting that there was a, there was growth year over year. Um, that doesn't actually surprise me. And I actually think that we're going to continue to see year over year growth because we've talked about this before. There were hundreds of billions of dollars raised by venture capitalists over the course of 2021 and 2022 to be specifically deployed into decentralized technologies, okay, into crypto, Web3, whatever you want to call it. Um, and over the course of the next few years, they have to deploy it. They cannot actually just sit on this money. That's not how the venture capital world works. And so I do think that we're going to continue to see money put in hopefully the right places. We talked about this in a previous podcast uh, about our predictions for 2023, that there's going to be investment in a lot of infrastructure stuff, um, a lot of real world use cases and scaling mechanisms for Web3. And so I do think Web3 investment is going to go up even though we are in crypto winter. Um, so yeah, year over year growth makes sense to me. Yeah, I just want to build on that sort of accuracy of the data question, as well as the sort of uh, how do we define Web3 question, right? I think we we did, you know, have a bit of a conversation about in one of our earlier podcasts that how do we define Web3? And we couldn't get to it, but we kind of said, if it is not on chain, then maybe it's not Web3 question. question. Uh, so is AR, VR, uh, stuff that is built on, built on, um, you know, Unity, uh, Unreal Engine, uh, which is just, you know, gamification stuff. Is it, is it all or not? And gaming is a is a two hundred billion dollar industry plus, right? So, so if you look at this and go, okay, if it is uh, gaming is sixty two percent of the seven point one billion, that's around four billion dollars, which is two percent of the two hundred and twenty billion dollar gaming industry, which looks quite tiny actually. So, uh, I'm sure there's more. So the question is, how do they define Web three? Yeah, I, I just I don't think these numbers by quantum, like the absolute dollar amounts, are are, are correct. Uh, I, I have to imagine that the amount of money that's gone to decentralized gaming to into GameFi is much larger than the number they're suggesting now. Yeah, I, I don't trust this report either because, well, they counted Epic Games, which is the creator of Fortnite, as the primary driver of that stat because Epic Games raised $2 billion, right? And so, I don't know, I, we, we, we can agree to disagree, but I don't count Epic Games as a Web3 game developer. Um but that's why that stat is there. And so, but that aside, I think directionally, Gary, you're, you're, you're correct in that. I'm not surprised that gaming is the top category in what's being invested. Um, I think gaming as a, as a vertical has always been one of the first movers, if you will, for any new technologies to be adopted. And so it's interesting to see, yes, gaming to be part of one of the first movers and one of the largest verticals to adopt. Web3 technologies as a new technology and gaming by themselves because of the way that the gamers and the communities are created within gaming and the utility that can be used when 
you have digital assets, um, I think it just makes sense, right? So Okay, you don't like that report? That's okay, because I have another item for you. China will launch a national exchange for trading digital assets. Suresh. I love it, right? I mean, China is the Galapagos Island, as we spoke about in from a tech perspective, right? Um, so I'm not, also, I'm not really surprised after China's own blockchain, which is called Drumroll, China Cultural Security Protection Blockchain. So, uh, so it is fascinating. Uh, I, I, I also don't, I also don't know what will happen with interoperability here, right? Maybe some sort of, you know, China cultural security chain wrapped BAYC uh, that you can trade <laughs> with, Chi you know, somebody in China. It wouldn't be a bored ape. It would be an extremely hardworking ape. <laughs> hey, but what is that called? The, 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 the new trend, apparently, which is called lying flat. Lying flat, a lying flat yeah, ape. Lying flat yeah. ape. So we're called China Cultural Protection Security Chain. Cultural protection. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, right. China already has the CPPCC, which is part of its legislative organization. Another yeah, so now there's a CCPSC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, this is effectively going to be if OpenSea was the one and only exchange for every single NFT in perpetuity out there. And so, of course, immediate user adoption if and when um, the country actually starts using digital assets and NFTs as being mainstream. I don't know. I don't really see that much interest in this news. It's perhaps just another evolution or next step in what they need to do if they're going to create their own blockchain in their own country. I actually think that this is really interesting. Um, I've been talking a lot about how much money China is going to put into uh, into their version of Web3 and how little the rest of the world seems to be paying attention to it. Every time they do something, people roll their eyes and say, yeah, but they banned, you know, crypto. And so all of this is just about, uh, you know, data and monetary control. And yes, to some degree, it is about control, which is why the truly public decentralized systems are not allowed in mainland China. But I think that the, the Chinese Communist Party have a far bigger plan for decentralized technologies within China than most people are going to give them credit for. I do believe, again, I've mentioned this before, that this is all about the digital economy, growing it, growing the, uh, the digital life segment of their, their uh, domestic economy uh, to make up for um, the slowing growth and all the other major GDP drivers uh, in the country, including manufacturing and real estate and others. Uh, there's full penetration in the traditional ecosystem and economy in China, but they still need to continue to grow because by per capita, their GDP is still one-fifth of that of the United States. They have to be able to catch up per capita GDP, and they see the digital world and digital assets as a way to get there. So what China does really well is it scales technology fast. And the reason why it's able to scale technology fast is because they do away with the cumbersome annoyance and process of market competition. They decide on a national champion or they decide on a single standard. The government says that this is going to be it. And then boom, straight to the J curve. And that's exactly what's happening here. Yeah. And, and I do think that it's going to be really interesting. I think by volume, this could very easily catch up to and exceed OpenSea in maybe months. We'll see. And those virtual assets are going to be a major component of China's future economy to the point where China has now labeled as this news report uh, in the South China Morning Post, shout out to SCMP, uh, notes that that data and, and they, they actually wrap data and virtual assets in kind of the same asset category right now. 
has now been elevated um, at the at the, uh, the sort of central authority level to be on par with land, capital, and labor as primary outputs of China's domestic economy. Wow. That's how important it is. So I would say don't 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 let this you know fly by you. Pay attention to this stuff. Pay attention to China and decentralized internet. It's going to be really interesting. China could China could show rest of the world how to use the decentralized centralized internet. <laughs> don't you think? I, I mean, I don't mean yes. it. I don't mean it in jest, right? I don't mean it in jest yeah. because the the question we have always discussed in in many of these episodes was at what point should centralization stop and what point should decentralization start and and there are there are varying degrees and i think where we could never get to a conclusion was should it be fully decentralized should it be fully centralized and it's not an either or maybe there is a there is an and over here what what happens if we put up a poll asking our web3 communities whether or not we should follow china's lead on the <laughs> the bar of centralization for web3 <laughs> Would be interesting. I would love to know. I mean, it would it would be interesting if you if you did that in China or you did that only outside China. In other government news, final item: Hong Kong passed a bill to impose a new licensing regime on virtual asset service providers and widen access to retail investors. Malcolm. Yeah, I think this is great. Any regulation is clear. Regulation is a good sign for the industry. It's great to see you know Hong Kong pushing forward. One of the few countries and few cities around the world actually pushing for regulation uh, towards this. And so this is going to open up a lot of possibilities for retail investors, mainstream adoption. Um, and I know Hong Kong wants to reclaim itself as becoming another you know, hub. Uh, it, it, it you know, is or used to be a, f- a financial hub. Um, I think it has an opportunity to become a Web3 and crypto hub. So this is a good sign. This podcast just got censored because Malcolm referred to Hong Kong as a country. I know. Um, <laughs> I don't like the word impose here. I, I agree with Malcolm. This is great news. I don't like the word impose. I think that the journalists, the editors who worked on this article probably should rethink that terminology um, because regulation in this case allows for a path towards something new. And, uh, and I think that for most people in the industry, we see it as a positive. Lots of virtual asset service providers in Hong Kong are already preparing for this licensing that is coming that allows retail investors to get involved. And that will make a world of difference here in Hong Kong and actually all around the world just because of the access to capital and the amount of retail investment that happens in this town. So Hong Kong could very quickly become a global hub for virtual asset trading uh, because of this and also because... It is already a financial hub. It is already an IP hub. And uh, it is putting money um, into becoming eventually a technology, especially a decentralized technology hub, as Malcolm mentioned. Uh, what's really interesting, and maybe this is just an insider detail that only I'm interested in because no one else seems to care about regulation and no one pays attention to Hong Kong regulation. But what I find interesting is that this was done through amendment to Hong Kong's anti-money laundering ordinance. And, and, and what makes that interesting is that, and I think, think it's an extremely smart move by the people who pushed it through. And I know that there are industry advocates that have been working closely with regulators and with lawmakers, right? Because it had to go through the hands of the lawmakers first. Um, and then the regulators can then decide, uh, c- can then you know, start to create regulation. But whoever decided to, to 
go through AMLO, Anti-Money Laundering, as opposed to the Securities Act, made a very smart move because it did not require this change in law in Hong Kong and its path towards retail investment did not require us to have the unnecessarily drawn out argument about whether or not tokens are securities. Now, eventually, that argument still has to be made because the regulation is being handled by Hong Kong's uh, securities regulator, the SFC. But for now, at the very least, the path has been carved out without having to necessarily define whether or not tokens are securities because this is just about anti-money laundering and protecting retail investors. So now we'll see whether or not Hong Kong will allow for retail investors to buy any um, uh, you know, virtual assets, including all the tokens out there, or only things that are issued in Hong Kong that has gone through SFC regulation and the definition of whether or not it's a security. So that's a little bit of detail just to, for those, you know, for, for my, for the regulatory fans out there. But hey, uh, I agree with you, Gary. Uh, Hong Kong wants to be the world's leading international financial center. Uh, and this is a great thing for Ho Hong Kong's brand, right? It is the other angle to this is Hong Kong's bid to become a talent magnet, right? If they are seen as um, thinking about innovation, bringing new technologies, creating space for uh, you know innovators to come and operate, um, it's going to be it's going to be great. I think all the stuff that we see, you know, all this FTX collapse and everything else, is because eventually it's getting down to well, if if somebody could rein in uh, SBF and others, wouldn't it have been great? So I think it's great. Uh, last week, Hong Kong also launched something called the Hong Kong Talent Engage. Um, you should look this up if you haven't. Um, they created refreshed visa categories, including something called the Top Talent Pass. They have a new eligibility calculator, all sorts of stuff, which means one is they're creating the regulation um, and, and creating the sort of guardrails on which people can play. They're creating the playing field and they are inviting players to come in. So I think both of those together will be powerful for Hong Kong. Look at that, D-dubs. We got through your five. I don't know if you feel like you stumped us. Uh, there's some things that we need to look further into, but that was a good conversation. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me, as always. For our listeners out there, believe it or not, that's all you are going to need to know from this week. Please subscribe to this podcast as well as uh, our other podcast, which is called Web3 and Whiskey, where we go deeper into a specific topic. Follow our channel on YouTube, where both of these podcasts are also posted, and leave us comments. Tell us what else you want to hear from us and what other news items you want us to emotionally react to. Join us next week to stay on top of the latest developments in the Web3 world. I'm Gary Liu. Thank you for listening. See you next time.